Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Bunch going on that, you know, you all need to know about. The Anti-Defamation League, and this is, they're no shrinking violence. They look at extremist violence in the United States, left, right, everything else. This is from the Huffington Post, from a piece over at Huffington Post. Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism found that domestic extremists took the lives of at least 50 people in 2018, up from 37 in 2017. Last year was the fourth deadliest for extremist attacks since 1970, and quote, every single extremist killing in 2018 had a link to right-wing extremism. End quote. The FBI reported a 17% jump in hate crimes in 2017. We don't have statistics for 2018 yet. The far right accounted for 73% of extremist murders in the United States over the 10-year period from 2009 to 2018, compared to 23% by Islamic extremists. And if you add 73 to 23, you get 96. The remaining 4%, I don't think any of them were lefties, frankly. They note right-wing terror extremists have been one of the largest, most consistent sources of domestic terrorist incidents in the United States for many years. They have murdered hundreds of people in this country over the last 10 years alone. To date, there has not been any known Antifa-related murders, not one. The so-called white nationalists, people who think that the United States is a white nation, or the white supremacists, the people who think that white people should maintain their position, their supreme position of power over people of all other races, are promoting this idea that all our economic problems and thus all our problems are being caused, you know, in the whole replacement theory and all this other stuff, are being caused by people of color. And so he calls up and he says, you know, well, what about their culture? They're, they're changing our culture. And I'm like, you know, what's different about the culture of Mexico from the culture of the United States? You say, well, you know, they got more political corruption there. Well, compare them to some small town in Mississippi. I don't think you're going to find that big a difference. Well, they speak a different language. Yeah, but they come here, they learn English. How is their culture different? Well, they have a different religion. No, they're Catholic, by and large. Well, they don't believe in capitalism. Well, yeah, they do. And, and in fact, you know, the raids are not happening in food pantries. They're happening in workplaces. I mean, I find it just truly bizarre 
when these snowflake so-called conservatives call and go, oh, I'm so worried that the country's turning brown. That's going to change our culture. What does culture have to do with the color of your skin? Culture is how you organize society. Culture is how we, how we interact with each other. Culture is how we work together. Culture, culture is, is a shared group of beliefs about how things are and how things should be. Culture is the American dream. Culture is inclusiveness. You know, the culture of America until very recently, until broadly the culture of America, until the rise of Fox News. Louise and I last night watched the third episode of the Loudest Voice in the Room, uh, the Showtime series on Roger Ailes. It's shocking how Fox has, from the beginning, been nakedly promoting racism in the United States. And Donald Trump rode that to the White House. And so now you've got you know, this president promoting this, this idea that culture has to do with the color of your skin. And Stephen Miller's been pumping this idea since he was a teenager. But culture has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Now, to the extent you could make the argument that people who are oppressed by the uber culture, by the overculture, people on Native American reservations, people who are essentially locked into poor urban areas because of the color of their skin, by the dominant white capitalist culture, that they have developed, in the case of indigenous people, in the case of Native Americans, or, or held on to a separate culture, or in the case of people who are just, you know, the oppressed, they come up with their own culture to respond to that oppression. And yeah, there's an element of truth to that, but that's not like this is a completely different culture. This is a reaction to, to sicknesses within our culture, and we need to heal those sicknesses. But to say, oh, gee, the, you know, this is... This this is uh, this is all about culture. No, it's all about race. This is what Trump is talking about. This is what Trump is preaching. It's racial hatred. Tyrone in Harlem, New York. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. That, that I'm, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, if white supremacy is under the impression that their whole existence is to be here to dominate over groups of people. And these people are reassuring that this is what they're here for. You know, you got your Rush Limbaugh's, you got your, your Sean Hannity's, you got your, your Donald Trump's that are telling these people that they are the lions in this culture and everybody else is the lambs. Right. And we're only here to satisfy their needs. How, like you said, how do you get past that? Because they have no inclination in sharing power with anybody but someone that is in their caliber. You know, like lions stay with lions, but they, you know, they, they have their own distances. So if they, this is what they're being said, and this is what they, they, they're planning on uh, maintaining, how is it we that want to live in harmony with, with, with other people get past the fact that the people that are in charge, that are running things, that are maintaining this whole hierarchy, they will burn this country down before yeah. they live in harmony with some, you know. Here, here's how we do it, Tyrone. If people of color make up about 20% of the population, right? Maybe a little more than that. I, I don't recall. Actually, in, it in might. In the United States. Yeah. In the, the world, you know, we, we, we're the global majority. 
But here in the United States, we're the minority. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, we have to deal with American politics in this context. So, so you know, I, I believe African-Americans are about 17 percent of the population. Hispanics are about 18 or 19. So that's, a, you know, about 40 percent of the population, you know, when you include a few other ethnic groups in there are not white. And so they, that group are of, of folks, broadly speaking, Hispanics, blacks, Asians, you know, uh, South Asians, whatever, Native Americans, are inclined to vote for people and policies that are inclusive rather than exclusive. Among white people, probably, which is, you know, the other 60% of the population, Probably about half of those white people are inclined to be inclusive, and probably about half of those white people are just plain old flat out racists. And the problem that we're confronting right now is that the Republican Party has been very aggressive since Nixon's Southern strategy, Reagan's Southern strategy, Lee Atwater with George Herbert Walker Bush, Willie Horton, um, and now Donald Trump open naked appeals to white racism. The Republicans have been very successful at getting the white racists out to vote. And the Democrats have not really made an appeal to white people who are more egalitarianly inclined, who, are, who, who actually want to live in a pluralistic, multiracial society. And so the burden, I think, if we were able to awaken and energize and get to the polls that half of white people who are reasonable and get them, you know, which is like 30% of our population, and get them voting with the 70% of the population that are people of color who already understand this from personal experience. And the, and the reason why so many white people are either racist or clueless is because they live in these white bubbles. And I certainly grew up in one. I, I'm speaking from experience. If we don't awaken white people of goodwill, then we're screwed. And I think that that's the solution to this, basically. And, and one of the reasons why I talk about these issues on this program so much, because, you know, we're talking to millions of people on this show and the majority of them are white and they know white people and they can you know, spread the message. But it seems to me that that's the key to the whole thing. Tyrone, thank you. Michael in Chicago. Hey, Michael, Democrats are not the party of the people. Seriously? Yeah. When you, when you say that, I mean, what people are you talking about? Well, I'm, I'm talking about working people. Democrats brought us minimum wage laws. Democrats brought us the 40-hour work week. Democrats brought us long-term unemployment. Democrats brought us Medicare. Democrats brought us Medicaid. Democrats brought us Social Security. Democrats brought us housing as a right. I mean, and in every single case, Republicans oppose those things. How can you say that the Democrats are not the party of the people? How can you say that they are the party of the people? I just did. The party of black Americans in this country. Well, the majority of black Americans vote Democratic, so I'd say that they're also the party of, of black people in this country. Dem listen, listen, the Democrats, the only people they are concerned about right now are immigrants and the LGBT community. That's not true. Not That's not even people. remotely true. That's that, that, not even close, Michael. Like, like your, guy, your guy Bernie Sanders, every time you ask him about a case about reparations, he gets totally upset and, don't, and, and ask what that means. What he is saying and what, what is true is that there's a huge debate uh, among black people. Uh, there's a huge debate among, you know, the, our society as a whole about exactly what form reparations should take. And it's a debate that we need to be having. But to simply say the Democratic Party is not the party of working people, that's nuts. We used to think new year, new me. Yeah, right. More like new year, new wrinkles. With every passing year, we all look older. But... 
All that has changed now thanks to this magic in a bottle Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's like you turned back the clock instead of ringing in another new year. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. All you have to do is apply this powerful serum to problem areas and within 10 minutes, voila, a new you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox involved. It's all natural. Ring in 2020 knowing Plexiderm is going to give you smooth, younger looking skin in minutes. And the best part is it goes on clear so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under eye bags and wrinkles in 2019 with Plexiderm. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, -N, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, half off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code Hartman. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code Hartman at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code Hartman. Tom Hartman here with you, and we've been talking about the tribalization of politics and basically how white racism, white supremacy, white nationalism has actually quite effectively prevented people of color, particularly black people, but also Hispanics and immigrants and et cetera, from having access in a large way to good education through a property tax-based funded educational system to uh, having access to health care. It turns out, and just some brilliant deep dive reporting here by the New York Times, that virtually all of the opposition to a national health care system from the time that Teddy Roosevelt was talking about it in 1904, Harry Truman actually proposed it in 1945 or 1946, to the time that Obamacare was being passed. In every single case, the opposition to expanding health care to all Americans came from white racist legislators who wanted to use the denial of health care for everybody as a way to particularly impact black people, to make sure that African-Americans and other people of color didn't have access to health care in the United States, and continues to this day. And then you get people like, you know, Pat Buchanan, who wrote a book that has a whole chapter about how America's culture is being destroyed by more brown people and black people being born, you know, more babies. And, and we need to have, a, uh, you know, absolute bans on abortion so that white women will stop aborting white babies because we've got a crisis going on. Pat Buchanan now gets his TV show on PBS. They're rebooting the McLaughlin Hour. It's totally bizarre. But these are the stories that Republicans are telling themselves. These are the stories that right wing hate radio is indoctrinating Americans with, and, and literally on you know, over a thousand radio stations across the country right now. This is the message that Fox News, that is the subtext of Fox News, this is the message that is the subtext of Sinclair Broadcasting, over 200 television stations. The Kochs and the billionaire class built this huge right-wing infrastructure so that they could pick the pockets of the middle class and preserve the privilege of wealth in this country. But they are using white privilege and the fear of people of color in order to maintain this power structure. It's mind-boggling. We'll pick up your calls after the break. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. This is the home of the political revolution, the place where despair is not an option. 
Richard in Kirkland, Washington. Hey, Richard, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Good morning. I have a bumper sticker for everyone, I hope. Okay. Together we stand. Together we stand, yeah. I think it covers the over socialism. It covers a lot of stuff, and it starts a debate, starts a conversation. We need messaging, simple, you know, simple bumper sticker, like you say, yeah. messaging. What Tim Wise is suggesting is kind of the simplest of all, which is Trump is a racist. That's not who we are. Yeah. You know, we're better than that. We're a nation that has that has and has to set aside racism. You know, we need to reject racism. We need to point out that these racists are doing violence to the United States and not just literally violence, but also violence to democracy, to the idea of democracy. They are fundamentally anti-small D democratic. Corey in Galisteo, New Mexico. Hey, Corey, what's on your mind? We've been dealing with so much fear that is, you know, promoted by the president. And, you know, that seems to be a lot of how he motivates his base. And I'm just hoping that we can get to a place in the primaries and whatnot where we actually have a chance to, you know, nominate the person that we want and that we are not being driven by fear and being told that we only have one choice to beat Trump. This strategy could be run by any candidate, but I think that the candidate who is most aggressive in attacking Trump as being fundamentally anti-American because he's such a racist is the candidate who's probably going to beat Trump. I'm looking forward to this unfolding, and I hope it can un unfold in an organic way yeah. and that we don't just get rounded up into some fear mentality of yeah. having to choose one person. But I'm going to jump off and hear what everybody else has to okay, say. So I'm, thank you for taking my call. Sure, I thank you for the call. Daniel in Irvine, California. Hey, Daniel, what's up? So I recently heard you on a podcast with Ralph Nader where you guys talked about how to handle Trump. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned to metaphorically kick him in the nuts. Yeah, it was kind of funny because he, he said, uh, you know, okay, you know, you were a psychotherapist. What's your prescription for treating Trump? And I, and I said, well, as we learned in psychotherapy school, when you confront a bully, you kick him in the nuts. Uh, anyhow, yeah, yeah, back to right. you, Daniel. By calling him a criminal and et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And all of the stuff he's done. And, and Ralph Nader even, I think, mentioned nicknames. But even if the message is right, will it reach the right amount of people and the right people? Well, I think it depends on how the message is delivered. Uh, you know, the Trump campaign has figured out that delivering messages filled with lies, even. I mean, you know, this whole women for Trump thing, literally every single ad that they're and they're spending millions of dollars. I mean, he, he's spending a million dollars a day on, on Facebook right now and and has been for over a year now. Their campaign, you know, of lies on Facebook has been, you know, was successful in 2016. They're betting that it's going to be successful again in 2020. And I think, frankly, it is. I mean, what we're seeing is Trump's numbers going up with certain groups. And I think it's going up with those groups who are getting these messages delivered to them via Facebook. Hispanics are getting messages delivered to them from the Trump campaign that, by and large, says that Democrats want to kill babies. And, and you know, if you're Catholic, you can't vote for a Democrat. And African-Americans are getting messages delivered to them from the Trump campaign on Facebook, sometimes, you know, not even being identified as Democrats want open borders so that all these people from south of the border can come in and take your job. And African-Americans have for you know, centuries just been trying to achieve job parity, you know, with whites. And so these are powerful messages that they're delivering under the radar screen. I think that it will work for Democrats if they take a page, and thanks for the call, if they take a page out of that playbook and start using Facebook aggressively and other social media to promote this stuff. 
Tim in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? I have a printout in my hand right now, and it's from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. And it says active hate groups at all-time high. It says 1,020 active hate groups, Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazi. I mean, this, this is what's working for that guy. Yeah. It, it, it's gone exponential since, since Obama was in office, you know? Yeah. And one of the real key characteristics, I was in sales and marketing for 35 years, and I was in the auto industry for most of that. I've been in the same neighborhood for 29 years. You can imagine what I've seen. I've seen families grow up. I'm the last original owner. And the complacency aspect is really hurting the liberal vote in this country because a lot of people in my neighborhood are decent people, but they're living paycheck to paycheck, and they don't have any interest in politics. It's scary. Yeah. Only two people out of 22 homes take a daily newspaper. Wow. They don't want to know what's going on. It, you know, it's, it's scary. You know? Yeah, it really and I think, I think for some people, they're just overwhelmed, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, they are, because it, they're it, trying to keep a roof over their head. Right, you exactly. Know I mean? you, know, I, you know, a member of my family has just said, you know, no more news. I can't handle it anymore. It's, it's, you got it's it right on bizarre. the money there. Yeah. And what, what's happening, and a lot of people don't really understand this, is that there's two key elements to any society, period. Housing and transportation. Obama turned both those around. If you remember in 2012 with Romney and the Republicans, they were campaigning on letting the, the auto industry go bankrupt. Right, right. He turned that around, and you know what it did? It created, it, it created millions of jobs. It was the most, the most successful auto industry we've ever had. I was in it for 20 years. I know yeah. how it works. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I'm with you, and, and this, you know, this has to be the message. Thank you very much for the call, Tim. Spot on. Will in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Will. Obviously, the racism thing is a, is obviously a big, big deal. Democrats still should go back to simple FDR. And if I had to make a bumper sticker, it would simply be this. FDR was a democratic socialist. It is as simple as that. Yeah. Vote FDR. The racism is a big deal. I get that. I actually don't think anybody other than a, maybe a teeny weeny number of people that would generally vote Democrat are going to fall for it. Okay, thanks a lot, Will. Ed in Long Beach, California. Hey, Ed, what's up? Well, I'd like to uh, talk about Stephen Miller. What I find ironic is he invokes his Jewishness, and they don't say, well, wait a minute, you've been shunned by your own rabbi and your own family. In fact, Trump really isn't speaking his own words. He's parroting the words of Stephen Miller. Well, I think they just think alike. Trump has been using racism his entire career. You know, he got busted by the federal government for refusing to, to rent uh, in, uh, what was it, Brooklyn, well, to black people specifically. He put the letter C on their applications, meaning colored, so that they wouldn't be approved. Yes, and he went to Roy Cohen on how to deal with that. And Roy yep. Cohen said, you sue the government right. and you attack them. The result of that lawsuit was that became Trump's M.O. to this day. Yep. So that's the ironic part. But I, I think that uh, when, it, when it comes to ads on television, the Democrats in their attack ads should really focus on Stephen Miller because he's such a toxic character. Yeah, except that Stephen Miller's not up for re-election you know, or any kind of election. But, but, uh, yeah, but he's, pointing he's out that Trump is bringing with him these unrepentant racists. And frankly, you know, there's a lot of stories that I think the media is missing. You know, for example, how the guy who organized the Charlottesville uh, rally, the, the hate rally, the Tiki Torch Nazi rally, 
told all the people before the rally an email that we, you know, you got to wear khakis and polo shirts so that you look all American. And then you have, uh, you know, Pence and, and a bunch of people from the Trump administration showing up down at the detention centers in, in Texas wearing khakis and polo shirts. And, you know, if that's not a shout out, I don't know what is. And the media is not even talking about this stuff. So spot on. Ed, thank you for the call. Lewis in Salisbury, North Carolina. Hey, Lewis, what's up? Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? Good. i tell you one for sure again. Thank you. You know, all this racism that Trump's pulled up on America, you know, when I, I look at that, it's the same way with Charlottesville. I think that when that us scene uh, came into the news about um, his, his affiliation with Trump, I think that really hit a nerve because soon as that uh, uh, report came out. The first thing he know to get everybody off of talking about that, he jumped to racism. Yeah. He did it in Charlottesville. He's doing it now. As a matter of fact, he did it with Obama saying he, uh, Obama spied at, uh, on his uh, home or whatever right. because he wanted to change the narrative. This is what this is. But but sadly, man, what really gets me, and I hear you talk about it, and I hear others talk against it as well, it, we need more white people. I mean, we need more white people to talk about this. And if they are Republicans, they need to go ahead on and vote Democrat. To get this thing over with because they see this man is trying to destroy the future for our children. You're absolutely right, Lewis, and it is tearing America apart. And that's, I, in my opinion, that's exactly what Trump wants. So, uh, Warren, thank you very much for the call. Chloe in uh, Tacoma. Hey, Chloe, what's up? Hi, this is the first time I've ever called. Uh, so, hopefully, I can do this quickly. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, I'm uh, very concerned about Trump's continued distraction. Every time there's something, you know, solid that the American people should be listening to, he distracts them, deflects them, throws it back. It's like he's always trying to defend himself, and that's what he does. I'm just wondering what horrible thing he's going to do to create a distraction. question is, will the media go chasing, you know, as he's throwing pieces of hamburger over his shoulder as he's riding this, this racist horse? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, is the Les Moonves mentality still driving corporate television? And frankly, I think it is, you know, where Les Moonves was the head of CBS and he said Trump may be terrible for America, but he's great for CBS. Keep it up, Donald. Spot on, Joe. And I think he's going to get probably get a billion dollars a year worth of free publicity. And the problem, though, is when it's uncritical publicity. We need to be openly, clearly calling him out for being a racist. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Because not only is that what he is and has been his whole entire life, back from all the way back in, in the 70s when he was first charged by the government with being a racist, that's who he's calling out to. Claire in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Claire, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Hi, I'm very concerned about what is going on with Trump's decision for immigration and people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. People with disabilities are more likely to use public services because an unemployment amongst the disabled community is so high, and yet people are escaping other countries due to persecution due to disabilities and In some cases, for them yes. to be denied citizenship is very very concerning to me i agree and and what trump's immigration policies boil down to is keep america majority white 
and although right now the majority of children being born are not white but keep America majority white, or at least keep the white people in charge. I mean, what you're looking at right now is Donald Trump trying to create apartheid South Africa right here. And, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. He's fighting every demographic trend there is. This is the last gasp of a desperate and racist Republican Party. And it's just simply not going to work. Thanks a lot for the call, Claire. Tom in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? We do not have Medicare for all. Because, unfortunately, we have a large percentage of this country that doesn't want people of color to thrive. So they have made a decision. They would rather spend more and have people do without medical care. They would rather spend double. So if you want to be pro-life, tell people if we get Bernie in the office, abortions will plummet. (laughs) And, you know. And it's yeah, I get it. And it's, it's, by the way, it's not unique to Bernie. But yes, I mean, there are several supporters of Medicare for All. And your point, which you just kind of mentioned in passing, but I think it's a really important one. We did probably an hour on it a couple of days ago on this program, is that the reason why, and the, the New York Times did some really good in-depth investigative reporting on this, the reason why we don't have a national health care program and we're the only developed country in the world that doesn't is, as you said, because of white racists mostly southern white racists who have fought it for years simply because they don't want black people to benefit from it even though well, unfortunately it's alive and well in oregon too that kind of racism oh yeah you get into yeah absolutely. anytime i get into this subject of medicare for all when i take away the mathematical objection it just breaks my heart but in conversation and conversation anywhere you go in this country it'll come down to it somebody will tell you you know my real objection is I don't want lazy people to have the same message. Yeah, right. That being code for, more often than not, being code for race. Like Biden's Biden's slip-up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got it. Tom, thanks a lot for the call. Nick in Detroit. Hey, Nick, what's on your mind today? So I'm personally a right-leaning myself. I have a a question for maybe the um, progressive side here. Um, If we have such a problem with ethnic conflict in this country, then isn't having a... A uh, more relaxed immigration system, a uh, bad idea. <laughs> I, 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 let me get this straight. You, you, okay, let me let me start over. Actually, yes and no. Nobody is talking about relaxing immigration. What Donald Trump is talking about is tightening immigration. Number one. Yeah. Number two, the ethnic tension that we have in this country is the result of white people who are being fed hate by Fox News, right wing talk radio and Donald Trump and being told that the economic problems that were created by Ronald Reagan's policies, the the neoliberal economics that we've had that have gutted the middle class. The middle class was growing like gangbusters from the 30s to the 80s. It stopped growing in the 1980s, and we saw an actual drop in real wages last month. This is all because of these so-called conservative economic policies. And then Trump says, and conservatives say, to the people in middle America whose factories are going away. The reason why you are in economic trouble is because brown people are coming into the country and because black people want jobs and because women want to get into the workplace. And none of those are the reasons for our economic problems. Those situations all existed back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and early 80s. And yet the economy was growing and the middle class was growing. What changed was the rules of the game. 
So, yes, there, it is true that there is a point at which immigration overwhelms the ability of a society to assimilate people. And that's the problem that parts of Europe are experiencing or have been experiencing over the last couple of years after climate change wiped out farms in Syria and all these people fled to Libya and then traveled up through Italy and Greece into the rest of Europe. The consensus is that the average percentage that a society can absorb is around 1% a year. They exceeded that. But that's not what's happening in the United States. And brown people coming from Mexico, how is their culture different? They are Catholic. They are capitalists. They want to work. I mean, you know, ICE is not raiding food pantries. They're raiding places of work. So I, I think that all of the memes, including the racist one that you're trying to promote here, Nick, are BS. Well, I have nothing against the Mexican population. My concern with Hispanics is definitely the situation with the Southwest. How is the culture of a Hispanic person different from the culture of you or me? I'm assuming you're Caucasian. Well, my point here is... No, how is, is their culture different? I, hold on, hold on, Tom. How is their culture is different? That, uh, Mexico, I it's a real simple Mexico question. How is their culture different? Against the United States. How, I'm running out of time here. How I, is their culture different? I believe that the Mex that Mexico, yeah, Mexico still has grievances against the United States for the taking of the How is their culture different? They speak a different language, and they uh, have. Uh, yeah, but they they, they learn language. English when they get here. How is their culture different? You know, Trump is saying he wants Norwegians coming here because they share our culture. No, they share our race. That's what you're talking about, Nick. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, thanks for listening to KBCS. What have you to share with me? Well, Tom, I heard today uh, in between segments in a, a show um, that values unite and issues divide. And yeah, that's, well, that's uh, Mark Pocans, uh, and he got that from Nancy Pelosi. I love it. I uh, grew up Catholic and uh, in a, on the south side of Chicago, and there was definitely racism in my environment. And it's still, it's still in me, and I hate it. It pops up every once in a while, and I just take a double take at myself. And I go, "Where is this? Come? Why is it still here?" Yeah. So I have to punch it down. That's a routine, so it's not hard. I can do that, but it's still there, and I hate that. Earlier this year, I called a friend out on his using terms that were cruel, racist terms. I lost a friend. He said, what's changed between you and me? And I said, well, I don't like some of the language that you're using because it offends, you know, I have friends that you're insulting. Mm -hmm. And uh, never call me back. And then <laughs> yesterday, I found out that my neighbor, who I've lived next to for 10 years, who I have a terrific relationship with, he absolutely hates the gay couple that moved in on the other side of my house. Whoa. I have to see this guy every day. I mean, he, he was shaking with hatred. And I'm trying to maintain, you know, be calm and everything like that. I don't really know how I'm going to handle this other than just kind of bury my head in the sand and just not bring it up anymore. But that's really, that's, that's very unsatisfying. Yeah, it is. I mean, have you tried educating him about our shared humanity at the very least? Well, after I found out about it, and after he opened up about this, and these guys that live next door to me, they're fine. They're, they're great neighbors. <laughs> they're the best neighbors that I've had in, ten, in a long time. And I don't care what they do. But I'm trying to figure out exactly how I'm 
going to approach this topic or uh, because I, I don't I didn't want to go off half cocked. I wanted to kind of gather my thoughts and figure out how I'm going to how I'm going to address it. And I guess I'm not expecting that I'll be able to change him. Mm-hmm. But I would certainly I guess I'd consider it a success if, if I could get him to maybe rethink some of his position. And I can see the guy. I mean, this was eating him up. You know, I thought he was going to have a stroke or have a heart attack or something. Well, like he that. may be he may be one of these folks who was born gay or bisexual and has been fighting his own urges his whole entire life. And that's what that's what's flipping him out. I mean, I am convinced, uh, you know, it's been a long time since we've debated gay rights in this country and gay marriage on this show on gay marriage and things. And it's now the law of the land. But back when I used to have these people on to debate it, I, you know, it just it became so clear to me that these people were fighting their own internal demons, you know, and then externalizing. But I don't think that's the case in this situation. Anyway, wish me luck, Tom. Yeah. Uh, Have a great show and have a great day. Thanks. Good luck, Maverick. And let us know if anything comes out. And by saying fighting their own demons, I'm talking about, you know, struggling with their own, their own issues. You know, it's that this is, you know, of who they are and and how they fit into everything. And it's got to be a tough one. Kurt in South Fork, Colorado. Hey, Kurt, what's up? Hey, Tom. I just, I don't know if anybody else has mentioned this yet, but racism is learned, and it's not genetic. It's not in our genes, so we can unlearn it. I grew up in the same kind of environment that you were talking about earlier. I was surrounded by it, and I went, my family, I grew up in Ohio, and I went back there last summer, and I was surrounded by, you know, Trump heads all over the place, and I was like the black sheep of the family, and, um, I, I don't know what's different from me and to them, but I went to college. I was the only one with a college degree, and I was a lot like them until I went to college in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so to speak, uh, expanded my consciousness. And and I also grew up handicapped, so I also had a empathy was a big part right. of that. An and outsider's I perspective, yeah. You can unlearn this stuff is what I'm saying, and I had to check myself all through my... 20s and 30s about the racism it's sort of blind you don't even know if it's in your well it's, it's so easy i mean it's it is so easy for white people to blame their problems on people of other races right. that they don't have to interact with or you know in many cases at all ever and not acknowledge you know systemic stuff how the system is organized or even you know personal failures right it's, it's, I was it's lazy. A, a book called uh, The Dragons of Eden by Carl Sagan, mm-hmm. and it uh, talks about how our brains work and how we learn these things and can unlearn them, and the extra genetic stuff that we learn after we're born. And it's quite a fascinating book. So um, hmm. I just, that's all I want to say. If it's learned, it can be unlearned. There you go. And if Carl Sagan said it, it's worth paying attention to. Kurt, thank you. George in Palm Desert, California. Hey, George, your thoughts. Progressives need to arm themselves with factual knowledge. Secondly, get these racist trumpeteers out of your life. Uh, quickly, I joined this gym. You know, I was friendly, met a few five guys. They turned out to all to be trumpeteers. And one guy was saying some pretty bad things about black people. So I advised him that black people have been fighting in every filthy, dirty, rotten war that this country has ever had. The Tuskegee Airmen 
had the best record for protecting the bombers, and the Revolutionary War finally came to an end because of a black slave that went to work for the British but was a spy for George Washington, who alerted him about Cornwallis coming in. George Washington was able to surround Cornwallis. That was the beginning of the end of the Revolution. And lastly, get these people out of your life. I had to leave that gym, and I've never been happier. I can't be around people like that. But progressive must arm yourself with facts. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And leaving a gym is something that, you know, we all have the luxury of doing if we have the luxury of joining the gym. Leaving our family might be a whole different thing. George. That's true. Fortunately, I do have a good family that uh, are pretty much progressive. So, yeah, I'm not in that position, and thankfully. Yeah, there you go. George, thanks Great for the call. call. Good to hear from Amen. you. Connie in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Connie, what's on your mind? I have a way to deal with people with racism is for everyone to get their DNA tested. I was amazed to see how many cultures I had in my background, and uh, one of them was African-American, and that really shocked me, but it was a good shock, Mm. I think. If everyone could see where they come from, I think that that would help. Well, I think it, 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 though it, I think it has to go even deeper than that, though, Connie, because you're going to get some people who are going to, you know, get their tests back, and it's going to be almost entirely or entirely, you know, one particular area or whatever, you know, depending on where how recently they've come to the United States, because uh, we're we're more of a melting pot than most European countries, and sure. and and, and, sure. and 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 I think that we have to go beyond just we're all we're all mixed breeds and get to we're all humans here and just like and not even have that conversation about you know breeds or categories or races or whatever yeah that was like my next point was to instead of having descriptors of african-american or hispanic i think we should just say human being mm-hmm. you know because um, yeah. that's that's what we are and i had to I had a little conversation with my brother, who is very conservative, and I asked him to start doing that in his conversation, and he went to say something. He goes, you know, you made a good point Yeah. to change the conversation to that we're all human beings. Yeah, there you go. Connie, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing thank your story. You. Appreciate it. Jerry in uh, Redfield, Maine. Hey, Jerry, your thoughts? I think I heard you say that you and your dad kind of uh, didn't see eye to eye. Well, until, yeah, when I was when I was uh, you know fourteen, fifteen, I or thereabouts, I had listened to my dad and you know gone along with his whole Republican shtick. And then you know when I started, was he, hang- was he a Christian, Tom? Is that what it was? No, my dad was always well. He took us to church, but he was. Uh, I learned maybe six months before he died that he was an atheist, actually. Oh, really? Uh, well, so he wasn't a believer. Where, where are you going with this, uh, Jerry? Well, the point is that I think we're, such a, we're in such an identity crisis as a people is because we don't have the blueprint of God laid out in the Bible. I think people think I'm smarter than God, and this is what I think. And yeah, so what you're pitching, Jerry, is a variation on, on what, these, what these people are saying about women and abortion and what racists are saying about race, which is that there needs to be a hierarchy. There needs to be somebody in charge. The person in charge is, is the person who can tell you what God wants you to do. Yes. And I get it. And you know, I get it. It's a very seductive thing to want to want to surrender your free choice and your independent thinking. That's right. You've made that choice with regard to religion, right? Exactly. Okay, I got it. Because I've, I've come to the point where I realize I'm not smarter than God. 
and I will not say things that are anti-God to anyone and say it's because I feel this way. Yeah, but here's the problem, it's, Jerry. It's the There's, there, God is not talking, to the best of my knowledge, to any of us directly in the English language. In, he in is Bible, talking, talking to us. He, he or Everything she or he they are talking to us through human beings who tell us that God talked to them. You know, exactly. Aaron, Aaron wrote down what Moses said. Moses said, here's what God says. You know, John, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, wrote down what they said Jesus said, and they said Jesus said this is what God says. But you don't know. I, I just limited it basically to Judaism and Christianity. But in Hinduism, you've got a whole bunch of gods, and you've got a whole bunch of humans who said, oh, well, here's what, here's what Hanuman says, and here's what Shiva says, and here's what, you know, here's what Ganesh has to say to you. And in Buddhism, well, it's, uh, Buddhism is sort of like, well, we're not even sure there's God. But, but you know, the problem, Jerry, is that you're, put, you're making yourself vulnerable not to the will of God, but to the will of a person who is telling you that they know what God wants for you. Let me finish with this. We are one nation under God, and in 1775, there was 53 of the 55 constitutional signers. They were Christians. They weren't Buddhists. They weren't Hindus. And we what does that have to do with anything? That God. Not any other God. First, first of all, I, so I would I would dispute your numbers because a lot of those guys were deists. But but regardless oh, no. of that, you know, it, it's like you're making a, a, a tribal argument. But again, I would say, Jerry, what you are doing is you're saying you want some other humans. out of 55. Right. Oh, you want some up. other humans, look the ones up, who say though. that they are the excellent Christians, that they've figured they, this out, uh, they to have the power over you. Fathers. They are the founding fathers. That's right. It. And you want and you want these people who say that they are. Christians to have power over you. I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Just like men want to have power over women and white people want to have power over black people. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And until we figure out that it's all about power and that that power is being manipulated by fear and anxiety and things like that, you know, we're not going to move forward very far. Rafael in uh, Seattle. Am I pronouncing your name right? Rafael. 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 Hey. There's lots of different ways to deal with racists. One way is, is if you can, of course, you know, I hear people talking about shunning people. You can, if you have an opportunity to, and you can avoid having to deal with that, that's great. But one thing I learned about from living in the belly of the beast down in the deep south is that not everybody everywhere, anywhere where you think of racists, are racist. And in a way, they're kind of a little bit of a club. And in the South, even racism isn't all that blatant. People, people talk in certain ways, and you know what they're talking about. And to give you an idea of, you know, people are looking for, well, how do I deal with when, when, I, when I see racism in my day-to-day life. And I'll give you an example. Like, let's say last year I'm watching the Super Bowl. I'm at a buddy's house. There's a lot of people there. Some people I know, some people are friends of friends. And what a racist will typically do is they seek to find out if there are other people in the group that they can connect with. Right. And so they'll drop something silly like, oh, look at that so-and-so running with a watermelon, referring to the football. You might kind of go, well, that's kind of a strange statement, but people who are who are racist will pick that up right, right away, and they'll know, okay, well, this guy's he's part of our club. He's in, he's, he's in my club, right? 
And one way you can, you know, most people don't want to, if you're going to go up and say, hey, you know, that's racist, buddy. Then you set up a, a dynamic where somebody's defending themselves and they fall into their clique and you're not going to change anybody's mind. Right. So this is what I do is when I hear something like that or at a bar, you hear someone make some kind of racist comment. I just say simply, I don't understand that. What do you mean by that? Oh, call them and out in a that, way that doesn't uh, confront in that way. That's that's brilliant. Exactly. And it's devastating because then everybody looks at them and says, oh, Sure. You know, what do you mean by that? Right. And then the penny drops for for people who are only half paying attention. Exactly. And it's it's devastating because not only does it mute the dynamic, it brings the attention of everybody else in the group to what's going on. And it makes that person. He now he's got a question in his or her head. What do I mean by that? Their brain is stumbling out. How can I explain this? And you're making somebody think mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm on this side of the line. I'm in this group. Count me over here. It forces them to think about it. Now, you may not change somebody's mind at that moment, but you've planted a seed. And if everybody did that, if every time you hear, just hear somebody say something, racist or misogynistic or homophobic just ask them i don't understand that what what exactly do you mean by that right explain that to me i don't understand that yeah no it's it's absolutely brilliant um uh rafael thank you thank you i i love it that that, that's that's a great one thank you very much tim in law oregon uh hey tim what's up I've been in the same community for about 30 years now, and I was walking across the supermarket lot going in, and I saw a uh, truck, a couple trucks pull up. One was uh, a body shop, the other one was for the auto industry, and I was in it for about 20 years, so I, I understood what was going on. And they, they stopped, and as I was approaching them, they got out, and they knew each other and apparently hadn't seen each other for a while. One guy said, what's up? And he said, well, I'm... He said, Trump got me $6 more a week in my paycheck. I'm going in to buy some cigarettes. Mm. And then he said to the other guy, that's more than that N-word ever did for me. And he was talking about Obama. Mm. And I I couldn't resist, you know, (laughs) making a comment to him. And I went up to him and I said, do you realize that the Obama administration bailed out the auto industry? You may not even have a job if it wasn't for him. And he looked at me and said, F you, dude. And then, you know, and I'm thinking... Yeah. How generational is this stuff? I, I relate it to my own my own story. My parents grew up in Nebraska in basically little white towns, Milligan and York, Nebraska. My dad ended up going off to World War II and staying in the Army, and I grew up in a multicultural neighborhood in San Francisco, you know, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And my... Uh, my dad, my parents were preaching the content of your character, not the color of your skin, 70 years ago. Do you yeah. think that had an effect on my life? You see what I mean? Yeah. It's so generational. You know, they didn't become racist yesterday, and they're not going to stop being them tomorrow. And you can imagine with how they go home and they, they continue these conversations. And this is in Oregon. Can you imagine what it's like in the backwoods of Mississippi and Alabama and stuff? Yeah. yeah. That's Absolutely. And that's and that's why it's so important, I think, to call it out. And, you know, we've heard right. a bunch of different ways to call it out today and, and all of them are brilliant. And keep it up, Tim. Keep, I mean, even even when you don't change somebody's mind, at least you're, you're causing them to think, well, maybe I shouldn't talk like this in public. You know, because that was two, not two important things in this world, communication and being informed. You know, right. and if you don't have that, you might as well give up. Yeah, I'm with you. Thanks a lot for the call. Marjorie in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Marjorie, what's up? Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm well. What's on your mind? I was listening to you for a long time now, my holding, yeah. and I heard all the different topics that I agree would come up, but I heard a question you asked, what do we do about it? 
Mm-hmm. And while I was hearing the, the health care issue, the racist issue, the abortion issues, I keep coming up with the same conclusion. And even more after hearing the last man that went off, it is confronting. And what I mean by confronting, I really believe that people, we need to come out and protest this. It's not just reporting. It's not something we say, oh, and just rub it off. It is dangerous. I really believe what is going on is dangerous to the American people. It's poison. And we need to find a way to organize, get off of jobs or the or the. the, or the Owners of jobs, if they care, how to close down one ship and allow, just like in China, just like in the U.K., I believe it was, the American people need to protest, and not for a, a moment, but for a movement. This is, this is what needs to be done. I really believe this, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. Marjorie, thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective, and I completely agree with you. Very, very well said. Thank you. Steve in Powder Springs, Georgia. Hey, Steve, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? I'm a 61-year-old black man, and I've lived in both coasts and uh, north and south and in overseas. And the way I think this, the way you deal with the racist next door, I've always dealt with is uh, confront. Some people don't know that they're racist. I had one time a, a colleague I was working with, and he invited me to his house. Uh, I live down here in the south now. Uh, and he invited me to his house, a uh, white colleague, and asked me what I thought of the Confederate uh, battle emblem being on our state flag. Mm-hmm. And I told him I thought it was the same as being a swastika. To me, it's the same thing. It offends me. Right. And he looked at me and said, well, why do you live in here in Georgia? And I said, because the economy's nice. So you deal with the racism where you deal with the racism. Right. When I used to travel around a lot, and... One time I ended up in Keene, New Hampshire, and as I was getting on a plane to leave Keene, a group of young white men came up to me and started harassing me about being, uh, what are you doing in, in at a very, our very white state, in, and that's a very white part state. of it, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a white state, you know, and, and, and I had lived in New Hampshire myself years ago when I was a young man, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a child. I had run into racism there before, but the thing was uh, confront. And uh, when a police officer came forward, I said, just deal with the situation here. I'm, I'm leaving, mm. so I don't really care what you, how you deal with this situation. These men were trying to intimidate me, and I'm just not going to be intimidated. Mm-hmm. So my idea, the, 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 way you confront is, the way you confront is to not be intimidated, not to engage them as much as to, because like I said, sometimes it is they are doing it to intimidate, uh, sometimes it's just innocent. Yeah. Like I said, why wouldn't I be insulted by battling them of a group of people I consider traitors to the United States? Well, they were traitors. Uh, <laughs> they actually yes, exactly. they launched I, they a rebellion were, against traitors, their country. Because, you know, <laughs> and, when I, and when I say that to them, they're like, their eyes, it's like, what? The American heritage of betraying the United States. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I actually saw them marching in a Fourth of July parade with a Confederate flag. Which is bizarre because they were trying to overthrow the country that was founded on on the Fourth of July. It's, yes, it's, yes. And when you, uh, and I, when I pointed out to my white colleagues, my white friends, my white compatriots at the time, there was the idea was the uh, they were like, oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought well, about putting I thought about putting up putting myself in, in rags and chains 
in, in marching behind in marching behind them in, in the parade. But oh wow, didn't uh, didn't work out that way. I just like that would have been. You know, a, I have my own thing. Yeah, that would have been a heck of a statement, Steve. Steve, thank you for the call. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Vi in Donovan, Missouri. Am I saying that right, Donovan? Close, Tom. You're talking about racial divide. Every time I leave my house, I have to back out of my garage, and as I'm backing out, I get to see my neighbor hanging his Confederate flag out, and at night the darn thing is spotlighted, but I'm pretty sure it's not with the solar. Right. <laughs> right. Solar are, there, are there people of color who live in your neighborhood, Vi? Uh, there, there are no people of color. I don't think, or probably less than ten that live in my county. Yeah. Okay. So this guy is procl- and, proudly proclaiming his white supremacy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and Senator McCaskill uh, said that Southeast Missouri was an awful lot like Northern Alabama, and boy, is she ever right. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 and it's uh, you know it's it's just a horrible thing, and I get mad. You know, I'm I, I've had a lousy day before I ever get out of my driveway. That's you incredible. Know. That's just incredible. Hey, have you ever said anything to him? No, yeah. no. You can't touch people like that. Well, it might be worth mailing him an anonymous note. You know, I mean, you know his address, yeah. right? Yeah. That's Anyhow, not d- a bad idea. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. That's actually a pretty good question that, you know, I, I mean, we're coming toward the end of the show here. Maybe one of these days we'll put it up as a, as a calling question. You know, what's the best way to confront your neighborhood racist? Carol, in uh, Carol, I don't have a city for you. Where are you calling from? Hammett, California. Okay. What's up? The way to change our situation is to change our story. And I say this because... The way I see it is humans are the species that is able to change our environment Mm -hmm. on a broad scale. Our planet itself we have changed because we're capable of doing that. I believe that we've done that because we tell ourselves stories and that story changes the environment. And as we change the environment, then again, we change the story sometimes, and this was part of my solution, or something that I feel is is crucial that we do, and really soon. If we're going to create a new story, then we have to be able to spread that story, defend that story, and therefore we need to engage in teaching ourselves and others critical thinking, the tools of debate and argumentation and, and rational thinking, and when I was a 14-year-old in my community, which was a, one of the ghettos of New York in Brooklyn, mm. the way that I became aware of what was going on in the world and, well, politicized and activated was that I went to people's homes where they were having meetings explaining what was going on in our neighborhood and how we were going to organize and defend against that. So we need to do that, and we also need to teach what I was saying, how to think, how to argue. Yeah. No, I get it. You're, you're, you're repeating yourself, but I spot on, Carol. Yeah. Very, very well said. Thank you. David in Los Angeles. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Fascinating program. Not the least the comment that you had made in reference to the reason why we can't have Medicare for all. 
is because these things that you pointed out during because of racism. This because of racism. Now they have something before this, the Congress right now for this the study of reparations. Mm-hmm. This goes to the changing of the story, right? Yes, absolutely. Now, if you have a people who begrudge another people for getting medical care, now keep in mind to get medical care you got to be sick, right? So this means you have another group saying. I don't give a damn if you're sick. In other words, how can we even have a conversation about reparations if we are not even able to have a conversation about can everybody have health care because of the color of their skin? Yeah, I, nothing can proceed beyond that point. Yeah, I get it, David. I get it. And and that's an excellent, I mean, that's a brilliant point and, and a brilliant analysis. David, thank you so much for the call. I hope you call in again in the future. I'd, I'd like to get into a longer conversation with you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.